Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. I appreciate the feedback I've got. Uh, quite a few of you have said, wow, that's neat that we've looked at these topics. We've looked at some hot-button topics such as uh, sex, what our culture tells us about sex, then what the Bible says about sex. We talked about homosexuality, what the culture tells us, what the Scripture tells us. We've talked about women in ministry. What, uh, what does the Bible actually say about women in leadership and in ministry? We've talked about substances, alcohol, the use. What does, uh, what does the Bible actually say about uh, drinking alcohol and the other issues that we talked about last Sunday? This Sunday, I want to wrap it up with uh, talking about how our culture, uh, those of us who follow Jesus, are a part of what's known as the kingdom of God. That is the rule and the reign of God. That's where... You know, we pray for that famous prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is a, is a practical prayer. It's when we pray that God would come and get his way on the earth. Those of us who follow Jesus, we constantly pray that, like, God, get your way, have your way, rule and reign in my life, rule and reign on the earth. And that is a culture. That is the culture that we, all of us that follow Jesus, are trying to apprehend, to instill in our own lives and try to live out. And it's challenging, no doubt about it, but God has promised to help us with this. And so our culture, uh, this kingdom culture, exists in the midst of the current culture. And sometimes they rub up against each other and uh, they don't always see eye to eye. But yet God has called us into the midst of this, and he uses descriptions of the church, of you guys, he, he calls you salt. Like it, you make, you make the living life, you know, delicious in a way. That's, you know, I like salt. I know you're not supposed to eat it, you know, but we got an ocean. I mean, come on. You know, I'm half salt anyway. And so when you have salt on something, you know, when he used the word salt, it was for, you know, preserving as well as taste. And that is that, uh, you know, we can bring a taste and a flavor to our own culture in this world with the culture of the kingdom. He calls us light, a city on a hill. And that is that we shouldn't be hidden, that the culture around us should see the city of God, should see the kingdom of God in our lives, and people should recognize it and go, something's different here. What's different about these people? So God, you know, uses all kinds of different you know, descriptions of what this culture, the kingdom culture, and those of us who are part of it, what we look like and should look like even to the existing current culture. And, of course, there's always this clash of cultures, too, if you want to call it that, because not only are we a part of the kingdom of God, that culture, but we're also a part of our current culture. We can't get away from it because we live in it and we work in it. And we have families in it. And so the current culture is, is a much a part of us many times even more so than the kingdom culture. And, of course, that's, that's where this word works in us and where the Holy Spirit comes to, to work and to form his own character into us. And so uh, I want to talk about that and bringing it to an end today. We're going to be over in Acts 2, verse 42 through 47. 
if you've got your Bibles or your phone, I'll just call up your phone app, you know, and uh, while you're making your way over to Acts 2, I want to read a couple of quotes about culture. Uh, this comes from a historian who says, Every act of creation involves bringing something into being that was not there before. In other words, this culture, every time culture changes, something new is kind of created. And some of us are old enough to have watched tremendous change uh, come about in our lives. I mean, the culture has changed. There's subculture. I mean, what, you know, back when the, back when rock and roll was first coming on the scene, there was like two types of music, basically. Now you got hundreds of thousands of sub-levels and subcultures, and, and it's just, it's crazy. You can't keep up with it. I and mean, we have so many, many cultures within culture. And, uh, but every time culture acts, it creates something new. And uh, it defines who we are. It also shapes the horizon. It shapes who we will be. And so it's incumbent upon us as a, as a smart people and as a navigating church in the culture to know, hey, how do we navigate this? How do we work through the current culture with the kingdom of God? Andy Crouch, uh, who wrote a great book called Culture Making, says that culture shapes the horizons of the possible, but it also uh, brings the impossibilities because things pass. What used to be possible isn't possible anymore because a new culture has arrived. And so it's, you know, I think the artists, the musicians, even some of the bloggers and, and all of this, uh, they have tremendous sway right now in culture. And I think Christians should be right in the middle of the mix and should be declaring in art and writing and uh, in books and, and articles that we should be right right uh, in there with the kingdom of God, with the salt and with the light that we have from Christ, expressing the hope of Jesus Christ in the midst of this current culture. We have challenges in our church because of culture, uh, because it's not like it used to be. Uh, Tuesday and staff, um, they told me that we have 16 different languages spoken in our church. I mean, a church of about 500, you know, we have 16 different languages. That's, that's crazy. And they didn't even include Southern East Redneck. And, I mean, that would have been, that would have been 17 right there, you know. And, uh, and, I mean, what does that, that, we have to look at that and we have to go, okay, God, what are you doing in our midst? How do we navigate this wonderful change? And I think it's a wonderful change. And, I mean, it's a picture of the kingdom of God. This is our horizon when we see this kind of culture creating. If there are so many different languages being spoken and ethnicities and nationalities represented that are starting to come into the church, how do we, how do we navigate that? You know, how do we take advantage of that, that every tribe and tongue and nation, just like it's mentioned in Revelation, is suddenly starting to happen? I think it's wonderful. How do we celebrate? But it brings challenges to us. How do we do our small groups when we have so many diverse types of people coming? How do we do our preaching? How do we do leadership? We spoke on women in leadership, and, and I laid it down that I believe women are, are capable, if they're gifted by God, to lead in any way God so deems he wants them to lead. So how does that function? How does the culture change in the church and how do we navigate that? It's a lot of stuff to deal with, you know, and stuff I think about all the time. The church has been there before. I mean, there's been all kind of culture shifts when the church first started, like we're going to read in Acts 2. Um, one historian said that uh, there were only 1,000 believers in around 40 A.D. That is 17 
ten thousandths of a percent of the population then. That's how small it was. Seventeen ten thousandths of a percent of all the people on the earth. Now, within just about 260 years, there were 6,299,832. I don't know where they come up with these numbers. 32? I mean, what? But it was like 10.5%. This is from a historian, uh, Rodney Stark. 10.5% uh, of the population was Christian. Just 50 years later, in 350 A.D., there were 33 million 882,008 believers, or 56.5% of the population, were Christian. Now, how did the church, how did the, how did the early church go from 17 ten thousandths of a percent in just a few hundred years to 56.5% of the population? That's a lot of culture clashing and a lot of navigating through uh, some very tough times because, like we gave thanks a while ago for those who protect us, you know, these folks in those first few hundred years were not protected. And uh, people were trying to kill them and did kill them and, and would drag them out. And they had a culture they had to contend with it was not like ours. And yet still the influence of Christ grew and grew. So they navigated it in some way that worked. And uh, the first thing I think we need to realize is that we have a purpose. Church is not just some fun gathering place, you know, where we come together and we get kind of encouraged and we sing some nice songs and we think about Jesus and we go home. I mean, church is where we realize every single one of us that God created us for a purpose and put us here at this time for that purpose. You could have been born some other time. You could have been somewhere else, but you're here now. And God's purpose is, uh, you know, is is incumbent for us to discover. I mean, it's not like Jesus, you know, he left, he goes back to his father and he's sitting around, he sits down, the angels are around him and he goes, man, I forgot something. Oh man, what did I forget? What did I forget? My people, I forgot to bring them with me. You know, he didn't do that. He left us here with a mission, each one of us. And discovering the purpose of participating in God's culture, in God's kingdom, brings life into just high death. Once you realize you're not a mistake, once you realize that no matter what you've been through, God has his hand on you and has called you and drafted you into his kingdom, into this new culture of life for him, then life takes on a whole other, a whole other hue picture. There are people who will not be told about Jesus unless they're told about by you. They are in your circle. They know you. They like you. A few. A few? Yeah. A few like you. You know, you hope. And they look to you. And some people, some of you know that when your friends who don't have anything to do with God, they will call you when they get in trouble. You know that. And why would God do that? Why would God allow people like that to come into your lives if it wasn't for the sake that he placed you there at this time with these people? And once we realize that, I think, you know, we can kind of refocus on our part to play in culture. The, the prophecy of Joel was fulfilled in the second chapter of Acts when the Holy Spirit fell on that first church. And none of us got off. None of us got a buy out of this mission because, you know, you're young and you're old. You're male and you're female. All were called. All were filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone. 
And when these disciples spilled out into the street after being filled with the Holy Spirit, it says that every tongue, everybody there heard the testimony. They heard about Jesus because they were given this incredible gift of preaching in the languages of the Greeks and the different people that were in Jerusalem at the time. And so right from the very beginning of the church, we see that it's important that the culture, the present culture, hear the good news. So much so that God gave a gift at that moment in time for the gospel to be preached through someone who was even denying Jesus just 30 days before. Think about that. So we're on a mission. You guys that are young, I mean, it really doesn't matter what age you are. If you're 10 years old, you're 8 years old, you're 7 years old, Jesus came and he pours his spirit out on your sons and your daughters. And they will declare, you're old men, we're in, woo, you know, and you're young men, women, all, will be filled with the Holy Spirit and capable of preaching the gospel. That's the mission that we're on. We get a picture of it in the second chapter of Acts. And it's very personal for us. It has to be personal. It can't be the church. It has to be us, the church. We, the church, each one of us, the church, owning that. And um, that's our mission. So I want to give you three ways we can better join the mission of God to liberate the culture of the kingdom of God in the current culture uh, of our life today. And it's out of Acts 2, 42 through 47. So let's read it here. Acts 2, 42. This is the first fellowship, the first time we see any description of the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Father, we pray a blessing on your word. We pray that you'd help me this morning. Uh, give me the gift of teaching. Holy Spirit, come and open our hearts and our minds to this wonderful invitation to follow you into our culture with the kingdom. Lord, I pray a, there would be a drafting today of your people. And maybe some here who have never made the decision to follow. I pray that young, old, male, female would get a glimpse of just what you have invited them into. That you would give them a taste of the purpose, Lord, of their life. And that you would also grant them the willingness to follow through with it. Come Holy Spirit, touch our hearts. Teach us today in Jesus' name. Amen. You have a fill-in in your handout. If you want to track along with me there, you probably have a pen as well. And your first fill-in comes from verse 42, where it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Your first fill-in is culture recreation through relationships. Culture recreation through relationships. In the early church, uh, when they first started meeting, they met in homes. And uh, the homes were quite close to one another, actually. Really close, as you'll hear a little later in the sermon. But uh, the ability of the church to reach out and to be able to share with others and to invite others into their homes and into their lives 
is the way that most of the growth of the church happened. I mean, we see the stories of the preachers and the apostles in the book of Acts, but all through this, the people of God were working to invite friends and befriend people and taking them in and and giving away their own relationships to others, saying, come into my life, I'll be in your life. Rodney Stark, the historian I quoted earlier, said that most new religious movements fail because they quickly become closed or semi-closed networks. That is, they fail to keep forming and sustaining attachments to outsiders and thereby lose the capacity to grow. One of the worst, uh, the, the worst advice I ever received when I became a follower of Jesus was that I had to leave all my non-Christian friends. Somebody told me that. And I was like, but I love my non-Christian friends. <laughs> you know, I love them. I want to be around them. I like them. What do you mean? I, well, they may pull you down. I'm like, well, if they can pull me down, I don't have much. <laughs> you know? I mean, if this is real here and what Jesus has for me, then I think it's going to keep me, keep me nailed to the floor. And you know what? It did. And we all have circles of people that we know that are not, they're not followers of Jesus. Don't, you know, don't, don't cut those relationships off. Whether they're in business, whether they're in your family, whether they're around you as friends, God loves those people. And who knows? Who knows if God has not placed you right there in that spot because you do relate to them. Who knows what God will do through you simply being a wonderful friend and a part of the kingdom culture to them so that they can see the hope of Christ in your life. Who knows? And... Um, once we start that and we circle the wagons in the church and we're like, you know, we, you know, nobody else gets in, just us, that's it, we start to die. We start to wither and then our purpose is gone. We have no more fervor and excitement in our spiritual life. We have no more reason for existing. And again, it's like, why didn't you take me home, Jesus? Why was I left here? No, we were left here on mission for a purpose to participate with the Father. Now, I, the first service did great at this, so I'm expecting big things from you guys, okay? Because I asked them to tell me, to give me ideas of over the summer, things you can do to invite friends into your life. Things that you, you can do so you can be around other people, okay? Let's hear it. Cook out. Number one in both services. <laughs> All right? Bible study. Oh, come on. Popcorn's going to scorch. Kernels are going to get scorched. Let's go. <laughs> go to lunch. Take walks. Activities. Go to the beach. We got a beach. Yeah. <laughs> what else? Go riding. Work out together. Say that again. Coffee. Mm-hmm. Surfing. I came up before golf. And it, mm. <laughs> golf. <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> Shag dancing. Farmer's market. Come on, let's go. What? Mudding. <laughs> I feel the love. <laughs> Visitation. 
Volunteering together, yeah. I'm sorry? Hunting. And fishing. There we go. <laughs> great. Invite them to church. This is great. You, are you taking notes? Are you like... How about in your neighborhoods, what's some things you could do? Bake somebody a cake? Take them a cake. Help them work on their home? Here we go. Community yard sale. Invite them over. How many of you know your neighbors? No, don't you don't have to raise your hand. I mean, <laughs> it's like one person goes, It's my son. <laughs> You can raise your hand if you want. But we don't, in America, we don't know our neighbors, do we? I mean, we put our garages on the back. We drive around, go in the back door. Nobody sees if we're in there or not. You know, pull the shades down. We don't know our neighbors. Coming in the fall, we're going to do a series called Neighboring. So you can get ready. You start praying for it. Well, we're going to look at how can we reach out to our neighbors. What can we do to show the love of God to our neighbors? How can we give away? These are all great ideas. You know, we have... In the church and as a kingdom of God culture, we have so many what's called uh, the one another scriptures. And you should make a to one another list. And I'm just going to rip off a few of them here for you. Here, Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another. Romans 12.16, be in harmony with one another. Romans 13.8, love one another. Romans 15.7, accept one another. Romans 15, 14, instruct one another. 16, 16, greet one another. 1 Corinthians 1, 10, agree with one another. Galatians 5, 13, serve one another. Ephesians 4, 2, bear with one another. Ephesians 4, 32, be compassionate to one another, forgive one another. Ephesians 5, 19, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and songs. Somebody in the first service said, Get your musician friends together and play some music together during the summer. You know, we'd have a cookout and grab, let everybody grab their guitars and such and, and, and have a good time. Uh, Ephesians 5, 21, submit to one another. Colossians 3, 16, admonish one another. 1 Thessalonians 4, 18, encourage one another. Hebrews 10, 26, I love this one. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Man, that's what the church should be doing, encouraging one another. 1 Peter 4, 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. My house is filthy. I can't possibly have anybody over. They're coming over for you. For you. Have some time with you. That's why they're coming over. That's what they want to see, and that's who they want to talk to is you. You. Show humility, 1 Peter 5, 5 to one another. 1 John 1, 7, have fellowship with one another. All of this is the culture of the kingdom. All of those one another is what sets us apart in the culture that we're in. When we live these out in the midst of our current culture, the kingdom of God moves on. And people see that we are a people who have been affected by the presence of the king, of Jesus in our life. So let's recreate culture through relationships. And your second one here, second fill-in is culture recreation through resources. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Culture recreation through resources. Um, The church back in the beginning was uh, so persecuted and so poor that they had to pull together in order to take care of one another. And that's what you see in, in the verses that we used as our text today. Now, we're not a poor culture. I mean, you, probably the poorest among us would be absolutely rich compared in any way to what we're reading today. So the first Christians in that first generation, they had to throw in together to take care of one another. And so they started selling the stuff that they had, and there were wealthy people that were in the church at that time, and that's the homes they would meet in usually because their homes were bigger, so the church would gather in the bigger homes. But the biggest homes archaeologically that I've ever seen is probably around 60 people could get in there. That was it, 50 to 60 people, and that was a, a building they found where they took a wall out. Can you imagine the church is meeting in your home, and they say, hey, you know what? The church is getting so big, let's remove your kitchen. And I mean, this one house they found in archaeology, everything was stripped out of it. There was nothing but a big open building. I mean, they sacrificed everything to get the people into that building, and it still would only hold maybe 60 people. But they had to throw in together to survive, but still the heart of this passage is that they did not, you know, they gave whatever they needed to give to see that people were taken care of and to see that the community saw that they loved one another and that they were committed to one another. I mean, and this had to be super challenging for them. In Antioch that you read about in the book of Acts, the town of Antioch, it was so crowded, you're not going to believe this, there were 75,000 people per square mile. That's 117 people per acre. And there were no, like, two-story homes. This is all stacked up in little homes like this. I mean, anything you do, your neighbor's going to hear. I mean, your roof runs into the... You can see this in Brazil and some other places. You'll see lots of homes built like this on the side of a hill. And so the Christians that gathered in those homes were listening. They were in the middle of such destitution that they saw the need. And so they would pour their resources out together to show the love of God to people in their neighborhoods. And I mean, it comes out of the heart of generosity that God has for us. Is God not a generous God? Has God been stingy to you? I mean, think about it. We have a history book of God's generosity right here. In the very beginning, in the beginning, God, when he made Adam and Eve, he put them in this luscious, beautiful place gave them animals and all. It was an abundance. It wasn't just enough to get by. It was an abundance. And even when they screwed up and they got kicked out of the garden, what did he do? He covered them. He comes and covers them. They find out sin causes them to go into shame. They hide from each other. They hide from God. And what does God do? He comes and he covers them. What a generous God. As you read on through the Old Testament, you see the children of Israel... Uh, in Egypt and they're being used as slaves and God eventually comes along, raises up Moses to lead them out. His generosity, leading them across the desert, providing the manna for them, the quails that would come in, all the food for them and the pillar by night and the cloud by day, he, he provided for them. He was a generous God. We get over into the New Testament and God's generation is totally on display, is he not? In Jesus Christ. What a lavish giving that God would give his own son for us.
God is a generous, generous God. And out of that generosity, his church becomes a generous people. I think we ought to be known as the most generous people on the face of the planet. Absolutely. We should all individually as well as corporately be known as a generous, generous people. God's even generous with his time. Did you know that? God is generous with his time because he said this. Last words Jesus said was what? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's generosity. And that's the God we represent. All of this generosity. The abundant grace. How many of you have been forgiven more than once by God's generosity? Some of us are on our 1,568,000th time. And what did you find? God was right there with his generosity and with his grace. And we are his people. I don't know if I can forgive. I don't know if I can extend it. But God extended to us. Again and again and again. And out of that generosity of God flows out of his people, out of his church to the neighborhoods and to the friends. And it did in this time. I asked for some folks uh, on my Facebook page to give me some testimonies of when they were the recipient, recipient of somebody that was very generous. And I got a couple of, you know, I'll share two of them with you. One was I got a flat tire one evening and asked a dear friend to pick me up because I didn't have a spare and no money to buy one. The next morning, she told me she would take me to the tire shop and get it repaired. Instead, she bought me two brand new tires. What a blessing she was. That's generosity, isn't it? Another said, we were having a terrible time financially early in our marriage. We didn't have a paycheck one month, and all of a sudden, we were set in a tailspin. A friend came up to us and gave us a check for $1,000 to pay our mortgage payment that month. Generosity. Generosity. I bet you've got stories, don't you, of people's generosity? And every time you tasted that generosity, you tasted just a little bit of how generous God is. And in you, through the Holy Spirit and through Jesus Christ, he is pouring that same spirit out so that we can be a people of generous giving with our time, our affections, and with our material goods, whatever God has given us. You know, the United States is a generous country, We've been, I think, the, the top giver in the world in the last few years. Uh, the church, church attenders, they give a lot of money. But listen to these statistics. The average church attender gives 3% of their income to church. The born again, the one that says, uh, I'm born again, evangelical Christian, gives 4%. And there's... 5% of us give 10% or more of our income. That's called tithing. And, uh, and so that's, that's a good bit of money, but that's, that's not enough. I read that if we just had two, if, if every Christian just gave $239, we could eradicate uh, the deaths of any child under five years of age. Just $239 per Christian. If we had just giving that enough. The church has within its control enough resources to make an incredible difference in the world. And to show the generosity of God. And sometimes we wonder, you know, why has God blessed me so much? Well, 
It's because he wants you to bless others. He wants you to enjoy your life. Surely he does. God gives us good things. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. But he gives us and blesses us so that we can bless others. Just this past week, um, Patty Dennis and uh, I think her daughter and, uh, and some went over to the Family Learning Center. You know, some of you know we, we uh, give GED scholarships down the street so for those who can't afford to get their GED. We've, I don't know how many we've bought now, 15, 20, I don't know, maybe more than that. But we try to help people who, who can't afford it. Well, they went down this past week at the GED graduation, and there were 80 graduates, and they threw a party for them. And they had food, they had gifts, and they had conversation for them. That's what your church is doing. Went down and threw a party for those who graduated with their GED. Um, this summer, Susan Harrell and her team are opening up what's called the International Cafe down in our cafe on the end. There are 3,000 mostly Eastern European students coming into this area. Within about two miles of this area, they're going to be living. And uh, they're starting to come in now. And so Susan and her team are going to be opening up uh, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, June, July, and August from 5 until 10 o'clock at night in hosting a place for these students so they can come, get online, and be able to talk to their parents and Skype with their, with the, their families back home and also to give them snacks and someone to talk to, English lessons, any of this, just to minister and reach out to give away our resources. And I'm sure they could, they could use a hand. If you want to be a part of that, go out to the table at the end and say, hey, I'd like to get in on that. I mean, that's 3,000 students from around the world that we get a chance to touch. Why are they here with our resources? Uh, it's, you know, there needs to be a profuse selflessness involved in what we do as a church and what we do as followers of Christ because it's, Jesus has done that for us. And so the generosity of God must be expressed in his people. So we recreate culture through relationships. We recreate culture through resources, that which we have to give. And we recreate culture through reconciliation. This is one of the ways that the kingdom comes and has changed so many of us in here today. Acts 2.46 says that they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts and they enjoyed the favor of all the people. All the people. All the people. And then right after that it says, and, in other words, here's the results of having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So as we reach out, what we see in this first church is God starts adding to their number because they saw that they were selfless. They saw that they were generous. They saw that they, were, that they wanted to be friends with them, that they were there for them, that they had resources to help them. They weren't selfish and self-centered people. And so as that happened, the church gained favor. And as the church gained favor, more people were added to the kingdom. And that's the way it should work, right? That's the way it should work. Culture recreation through reconciliation, reconciling people with their God. And with this glad and sincere heart, uh, here's a broad definition or, or a long definition, I should say, of this. It says that they developed an attitude. Listen to this. The church did. They developed an attitude toward each other that enabled them to truly enjoy one another, especially when they met for meals. I've told you guys to go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just 
Every time you see Jesus eat a meal, right at the top of your page, eat, eat, eat. In my old Bible, I did this years ago, and I could hardly turn a page where Jesus wasn't eating. And you know what's phenomenal? He didn't even have a home. He didn't even have a home. Why did he eat so much? People were inviting him because he, he gave himself away. He invited you know, people to be with him when he walked through the streets, when he was there, and then they invited him into their homes. And once you get into someone's home, that is saying something of great importance, that they like you. You don't invite people you don't like into your home, right? You just don't do it. Yeah, I think I'll go find a grumpy guy to invite to the house tonight. You know, maybe we should do that, but we don't do that. It's like, I really like being around so-and-so. Let's get them over tonight. You know, and we, we invite them over. Well, Jesus was invited even into his enemies' homes because something he was saying was just spurring them somehow where he would even get invited for conversation into their home where he would tell them about the kingdom of God and reconciliation could help. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. We live in a, such an individualistic uh, culture. That's part of the current culture is that we're all so individually specific in everything we like and want and we don't want anybody messing with our individuality, do we? We don't. And so we cannot let that from our culture that we live in rob us of giving it away to others and opening our heart and our doors as followers of Jesus to others. We can't do that. We can't let our culture rob us of the culture of the kingdom of being a welcoming people. We won't see the Lord adding to the numbers as he deems. We won't see it. We have to open our hearts. True hospitality before pride. True hospitality before pride. People, you know, don't want to come in to see how clean your house is. They want to come in to see you. They want to be with you. That's why they're coming. Well, hopefully not the swimming pool or whatever, but, you know, they want to be with you. <laughs> they want to be with you. Well, use that, you know, use whatever you got, you know. And uh, play music together. Yeah, I got a new guitar. Come on over, you know, check it out. Use whatever you have, but open the doors wide because in that is the possibility of reconciliation. And that's the challenge for this summer as we start to go into the summer here in Myrtle Beach. Are you willing to open your doors? Are you willing to open your heart? You're willing, willing to relate to those that you don't know yet, to take the time and the energy to get to know your neighbors, to get to know friends that maybe are just acquaintances. We are on a mission, each one of you. God has left you here with a purpose, and this is it. I want to read a, one last scripture to you, and this is out of 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. I've never seen this version before. It's called the NIV Reader's Version. And I really like the way it, it expressed 2 Corinthians 5. So, from now on, we don't look at anyone the way the world does. At one time, we looked at Christ in that way, but we don't anymore. Anyone who believes in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It is all from God. He brought us back to Himself through Christ's death on the cross, and He has given us the task of bringing others back to Him through Christ. God was bringing the world back to Himself through Christ. He did not hold people's sins against them. Would you say that? God is not holding my sins against me. Can you say that? That's good news. 
God is not holding my sins against me. Now, that's going to be some good news to your friends, too. They need to hear that. God has trusted us with the message that people may be brought back to him. So we are Christ's official messengers. It is as if God were making his appeal through us. Here is what Christ wants us to beg you to do. Come back to God. That's what we say to folks. Christ didn't have any sin, but God made him become sin for us so we can be made right with God because of what Christ has done for us. Listen, it may only be a small gesture of friendship, of giving some resource you have to someone. Maybe it will seem to you as small as a grain of mustard seed, just a small little thing that you think is nothing. But with the Holy Spirit watering that small thing that you give away, it can turn into a huge tree that will not only touch that life, but blossom into a a tree with limbs and and leaves that cover the family and the next acquaintances and all. Look at us. We're all here because of somebody else. This This is a forest this morning because someone watered a small mustard seed. And here we are. That's our call for the summer. Let's give ourselves to it, and let's see the kingdom come. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.